You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, for those of you who I haven't got a chance to meet, I'm Sean. I'm one of the elders and uh, also one of the preachers here. And uh, I'm excited today because, as you can see, we're starting our James series today. So it's going to be good. We've got Jeremiah in the rearview mirror, and we're moving on. It's going to be fun. Uh, Jeremiah was awesome. Honestly, I loved it. Uh, but it's going to be good. So uh, question right off the bat here. How many of you did or went online and saw the sermon preview video? Did anybody see that on Facebook? Did anybody, I know it's just a few, did anybody do the homework that was assigned? One. The rest of you fail. <laughs> but uh, there might be points, extra credit points assigned. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, the homework was just simply this. Go on BibleProject.com and check out the video on the book of James. Um, it's great. It's about eight minutes long. It helps you get a whole overview of what the book of James is all about. Super helpful. So I would encourage, encourage you to do that. But um, who is James? James was, was the brother of Jesus. And he was a guy that became uh, one of the pretty prominent leaders in the Jerusalem church after Jesus uh, died and was really a guy that was well-known and respected both for his ability to be a peacemaker, a peacekeeper, but also for his wisdom. He was very, very wise. And at some point, James uh, decided to write down this sort of collection of writings and teachings about wisdom, wise ways that we can be going about living our lives. And that's what became the book of James for us. And so the book of James really uh, you can think of it uh, like New Testament wisdom literature, somewhat like the uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. This is New Testament wi wisdom literature. And so you can think of James uh, kind of like King Solomon, uh, but without all of the money and without the hundreds of wives. Otherwise, very similar guys. Uh, Anyway, James is awesome. Super practical day-to-day -day living stuff. So what I want to do is go ahead and read through the text. We're going to be in James 1, 1 through 12. I'll read through the text. We'll pray and invite the Spirit of God to work, and then we'll, we'll start unpacking. So take a look at what it says. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face, many, face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers it, the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time of worship that we've had already. Thank you for the time of fellowship with, with the family of God. It's been a good morning, Lord. And God, I pray now that your spirit would fill me. I pray that you would fill the room as we know you're here when we gather. And God, I pray that you would fill and work in the hearts and the lives of everybody in the room this morning. Father, I pray that we would interact with your word in such a way that we would leave changed because of your word, because of your spirit, 
And so we just thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the time to be together in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so James 1, he starts off here, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a really, really significant statement that we want to stop and talk about for a second. He says um, that Jesus is God, essentially. Later in the book, he'll say it more overtly than that. But remember, this is James, who is uh, Jesus's brother. Now, many of you have siblings. I have a brother that I grew up with. His name is Christopher. He was about or is about a year older than I am. And so he was always a little bigger, a little stronger. Um, and so if we ever started fighting, like he usually was going to like get the upper hand and, and, and win. And so this one day, it was in the summertime. Um, we lived in a shack, but the shack had this fantastic like swimming hole right next to the, next to where the house was. And so uh, we just basically just ran around in swimming trunks all the time in the summer. And so that's an important piece for this, uh, this you'll understand in a minute. But we're in swimming trunks this one day, it's hot out and uh, we're in our room doing something, I don't know, but we, we started to argue and, and I can't even remember what the argument was about. I'm sure it was all his fault. But we, we get into this argument and pretty soon it, it comes to like a physical fight. And all of a sudden my brother's on top of me like he usually was. And it's ground and pound, right? There was no MMA back then, mixed martial arts, but he's on top of me and just giving it to me. And so I'm freaking out and the rage is building and I'm trying to get this guy off of me and I don't know what to do and I'm flailing around and I reach back. God put something up there for me. It was a plastic hanger, okay? You might not think of a plastic hanger as much, but when you're in that kind of a situation and you need a weapon, it was perfect, okay? So I came up swinging, whoop, I hit my brother, Again, just swimming trunks. There's a lot of skin there. So I slap him. He falls off of me. And at this point, I have a decision to make. I'm like, the danger's over. Maybe I should just move on. No, I shouldn't just move on. This is a, this is a special moment. Something's happening here. So I started chopping wood, like as, as hard as I could and as fast as I could for as long as I could. I smacked him with this hanger repeatedly again and again and again. Um, I hit him enough times that the hanger eventually broke. It was wonderful. Um, my brother had welts all over his legs. He was in a lot of pain. Um, he's mostly okay. He walks with a limp still, but he's fine. It's not too bad. He gets around. Anyway, if you've seen the movie Tombstone, when uh, Doc Holliday says it, it's not revenge, it's a reckoning. That's what happened that day. That's what was going on that day in my bedroom. Now, I don't know if James and Jesus had a cage match in swimming trunks. It's possible that they, that they did. But James remembers growing up with with Jesus. He remembers messing with Jesus. He remembers working with Jesus and crying with Jesus. He probably remembers seeing Jesus puke because he ate some bad goat or something, right? My point in all of this is that Jesus's family and, and, and his brothers that he grew up with, they experienced Jesus in his humanity more than anybody else did. What are the chances that you or me would say of our sibling that they are God, that they are Lord? Zero. But James says that about Jesus. Everything that James writes about that we hear from him, he learned directly from Jesus. And so we should pay attention to what he has to say because it's, it's important. But he goes on here and he says, he says that this is written to the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes were scattered around. These are the Christians as it's just been scattered around the area. And they needed encouragement in that day, desperately. Uh, the Jews were hated by the Romans, generally speaking, and they were under Roman oppression all the time. Christian Jews were especially hated uh, by the Jews and by the Romans. So they had like double people against them. And so they really, really needed, needed the encouragement because they were under really great persecution at the time. Uh, you remember the apostle Paul? 
Well, before he became the apostle Paul, his name was Saul and he was a Jewish leader. And we read about a story about him in Acts chapter seven, where this guy, Stephen gets up and gives this great sermon, but in the sermon, he's indicting some of the Jewish leaders of the day. And uh, so they get mad enough, they decide to kill Stephen. And so they do in Acts chapter eight, we read how they killed Stephen and they do it at the approval of a guy named Saul. Saul was a guy who greatly persecuted Jesus and the church. Um, He was going around arresting, um, beating, in some cases overseeing killings of people. It was all before he met Jesus. And so they were, they were under great persecution. The church in many ways in our day is under great persecution, even here in our country. Um, Certainly not to that degree. Obviously, we're all able to meet here. We're free um, to speak about the things we believe in, but it's possible that that opposition might build greater and greater at some point. So we need this kind of encouragement for us. So look what he says, verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The first perspective on problems here is that trials are inevitable. Super encouraging, right? (laughs) Oh, I thought you said it was supposed to be good. It is good. All right, we're gonna find out why, but but I, I think that most of us think about our life like a road trip. I love road trips. Um, I love being on the open road. I love playing math games in my head, uh, like miles and distance and time and speed and figuring out how far it's gonna get or long take to get there. I love that stuff. I love seeing cool stuff and finding new restaurants I've never been to. I love it. Even cruise control is awesome. Now they have adaptive cruise control, which is even better. Most of us, I think, think life should go like that. You're on a road trip and it's awesome. The sun's out, the sunroof is open, the the stereo's turned up, you're eating cool stuff. It's it's an awesome trip. That's just not how life goes though, right? If you've lived for a day on the earth, you know that that's just not how how life goes for us because the truth is, the problems, they come for all of us. Sometimes they're little annoying things like I got a cold and I was better two days later. Sometimes they're really, really big things like... I'm grieving the death of a loved one who has died or my mother who's dying like Pastor Jay right now. Everything in between. And usually we respond to trials and problems with sorrow and grief and anger and irritation. And those are appropriate feelings to feel at times. But James, he makes this incredible claim here. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, you ever read scripture and you're like, what? Like, how is that, how is that even um, possible? And he answers the question for us next in verse three. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's talking about this testing idea here, this, this proving idea of your faith. Um, I've shared my TV preferences here before. I love this show called How It's Made. Um, it's a show about how things are made. You would love it. <laughs> it's cool. You find out all kinds of stuff. Who's, who's seen the show? Who likes, oh, I found my family. This is awesome. It's so good. You learn about the dumbest things like how a, like a microphone is made or how shoes are made or just totally random stuff. If you're not into random things like that, you will find it depressingly boring. My whole family hates it, but it's awesome. But one of the shows I love is uh, this show called Gold Rush. Um, does anybody like that show? Is anybody into that? Yeah, it's a pretty good show. Um, but on this show, they talk about the process of getting gold. Gold, it turns out, is actually hard to get. Um, and what they do is, is they dig up the gold from the ground. It's in dirt. And then they run it through a wash plant that like washes off and shakes off all of the dirt and garbage and debris and everything. And at the end, you're left with, with gold. Um, the show I watch, they're getting this kind of gold that's like flakes and 
little powder and stuff like that. And it looks like gold, but it's still not fully gold. And so what they do then is they take that gold and they put it in a furnace and they superheat it. And what that does is it burns off all of the impurities and all of the problems and all of the things that are in the gold. And what you're left with is genuine and very nearly pure gold. You can, I don't know if you can get exactly pure gold. Maybe it's possible. But, but that's what James is saying here is that the trials and the problems in our life are like that refining process of gold. The trials and the problems in our life are putting us through a wash plant and they're knocking stuff off of us that, that aren't good for us that we shouldn't have there. And the trials of life are putting us in a furnace and it's superheating our lives in such a way that the, the garbage and the, the things that are immature and not good for us or about us, they're burned off. And so what we're left with is, is pure and genuine um, faith. And what James is saying in all of this is that trials have have, they have purpose in our lives. James says that this process has to play out for your faith to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And the amazing thing is, is that he almost seems to insinuate that these problems and trials and pains in our life are essential for the completion and maturation of our faith. And that's why he says, consider it pure joy, because we know that the trials, they have a purpose in them, that God is doing something in the midst of these problems. My wife and I were talking to uh, a couple of friends last week about, about our marriages. And early in my marriage, um, man, the years were, they were difficult. They were really, really hard. I was going to nursing school at the time between class, clinical, and uh, uh, work at the restaurant I was working at. I was pulling like 85, 90 hour weeks. That didn't include study time. Life was really hard back then. But life was also hard back then because I'm an idiot. Um, well, I'm less of an idiot now, thank God, but I was a real idiot then. And I was immature and I was stupid and I sinned and did all kinds of stupid things that were terrible for my marriage. But God somehow, some way, worked in the midst of all of that to bring about a beautiful, somebody's calling, to bring out a beautiful and amazing marriage. I don't know if that's true, if this is true or not, but I don't think that I have the kind of amazing marriage that I have now if we don't go through all those trials and pains. I really don't. And Paul talks about this, Romans 8, 28, a familiar verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Somehow God is sovereign, even over the problems and pains in our life and is doing something. So we don't, we don't pretend that things are better than they are. We hurt, we grieve, we experience them. But somehow James says that we should consider it pure joy when we're going through them because we know that the trials have purpose. So the next question I have then is how, how do we do that? And James answers it for us. Look at verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. What James tells us here is that we should be asking for God's help. God loves you so, so much that he did not want to leave you stuck in your sin. And so what he did was he sent Jesus, his son, to live as a full human. We talked about this earlier. But Jesus, when he was here, he breathed air. He felt grass under his feet. He felt the sun on his face. And he also experienced exhaustion and opposition and trials and pains and sorrows and difficulties. He felt all of the same things that you and I feel as a human. And so what that means is that we have a God who is sympathetic to us. We have a God who wants to help us. He wants to give us help where he can when we ask for it. And he gives it generously to all without finding fault. So let's talk about wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom simply is this. Wisdom is a God-given, God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues of life. That's it. 
That's what wisdom is. God-given, God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues of life. And so the question is then is how does wisdom help us in our lives? And the the answer is this, that wisdom, um, that discernment that we get from God, it gives us the perspective that we need to be able to find joy and to persevere um, in the problems, in the trials, in the pains. So three ways um, that the Lord gives us wisdom. He, there's many, many more, I'm sure, because he's God. But three ways we'll talk about this morning. The first is, is through the power of the Spirit, through prayer. When we spend time talking to God, we should spend time um, talking with him, of course, telling him our concerns, telling him our desires, asking for wisdom. But we should also spend time listening to God. Sometimes a good thing to do in prayer is to just simply ask, Lord, is there anything that you want me to hear right now? And then just spend some time being quiet, listening. His spirit wants to give us wisdom. Another way he does this is through the word. There's no substitute for being in God's word. God's word reorients our hearts and our lives to know God better, to know ourselves better, to understand what he wants, to understand wisdom, to help us move through life. God also uses the church. He uses uh, the family of God to bring wisdom to us. This is one of the greatest blessings we have in, in Christ is the family of God in Christ. We discover God in community. So if you're not in community, you need to get in community. We have our community groups, communities at Grace. Find a community group to jump into. Um, if that doesn't work for you, um, we have all kinds of other ways. We're doing a, a series right now on Tuesday night, 6 to 7.30, right here in this room where we're showing The Chosen. Come check it out. It's an awesome time to be with other people, to, to, to watch a TV show, movie thing that, that shows us more about who God is. If you want to talk about it, you can. If you just want to eat candy and popcorn, you can. Enjoy time with the family of God. It's, it's a great way um, to get together, meals together, calls together. Uh, our young adults group is meeting tonight at Jacob Adler's house. They're having a, a controlled uh, exterior conflagration. It's going to be awesome. Uh, that's just a bonfire. If you're like, what the heck was that? Bonfire. I say controlled because conflagration actually is like a large destructive fire, but I think they're going to keep it to like a fire pit or something, but it should be good. Find a way to jump into community. Find a way to be together with other people. Some of you are, are on social media. So many people use social media for evil, not good. Let's use it for good, not evil. Maybe you DM somebody on Instagram and say, listen, I love you. I'm praying for you. How's your week going? Maybe you say, look, I need some, I need some help. I have some questions about God that I just can't get. I just don't understand. Will you help me? Will you meet with me? Um, let's meet together in the community of God because God is ready to give wisdom to all um, without finding fault. But there is a warning, verse six. He says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Um, The next perspective on problems that we have is that we need to have no doubts, none, when we go to God. Do you ever have doubts about faith when you go to the Lord? James seems to know that that's going to be a problem that we have as humans, and so he addresses it. Sometimes we have doubts. And I think the thing that is important to remember is that this is in the context of trials um, that are inevitable in our lives and that we should be having joy in them somehow because they're accomplishing something in our, in our faith. And, and the word says that if we doubt that God has nothing for us and what that means then is we're gonna be stuck in our trials and our pains and our problems without any perspective, without any wisdom, tossed around like the wind, like a wave on the sea. Doubt can come into our lives and into our hearts in a couple of different ways. One way is that sometimes I think we doubt the goodness of God. 
We look around at the problems and the trials in our life and we think, God, are, are you in there? Do you even care about what's going on with me? Or maybe we think, you know, God, if, if you're so good, why is all this garbage happening in my life? Why is life so hard? Why is it such a trial? Why is it so difficult for me? Why is an interesting question. The first reason why things and problems come into our life can be just simply because we live in a messed up, broken world that's filled with sin. And so there's things like diseases and pandemics and just garbage in the world. Sometimes it's because of our own choices, not even sinful choices, just sometimes we make choices that weren't wise decisions and consequently we have consequences and bad things come into our life, life because of it. But it could also be about sin. Come back next week, we're gonna talk about sin specifically and, and how we should relate to it. Um, sometimes it's because of demonic influence, but the fourth reason, and I think this is the most difficult one, is the answer is sometimes we simply don't know. Sometimes we don't know why problems and pain are in our lives. One thing we can be sure of and that we do know is that we have a God who loves us, who cares deeply about us and cares about what's going on in our lives. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Hear me, God hears you. God sees you. God loves you. This is who our God is. But when the pains of life are pressing in on us, it's hard to keep that perspective. It's, it's difficult to do, and it's hard to remember that we can find joy in the midst of trials. Last week at Preaching Team, we were talking over this, this sermon, this text, and Sarah, our worship pastor, was talking about um, a season of great struggle in their life. Her and her husband, Tim, um, they lost their daughter, Isabel, when she was, I think, just a couple days old. This was several years ago. But she described the pain that her and Tim had in that, and she described what that felt like. And she remembers crying out to God in that time and asking him why. How do you answer a question like that? How do you answer a question like, God, why did my daughter have to die? And through this process, her and Tim were led to begin asking, um, not necessarily uh, why, but what's next? Or what should we do with this then, Lord? What is it we're supposed to go and do about this? What can we do about this or with this pain that we have? And what that began to lead them to do was to begin to serve, begin to love, begin to do things in the name of their daughter as an honoring to their daughter. And that helped them process through the trials and through the pain. Life isn't perfect for them. They still have days where they are overwhelmed with sorrow, but they also have somehow by the grace of God found joy in it because they recognize that trials, they have, they have purpose in our lives. James says that we can have that kind of perspective, but when we go to God for that perspective, we must not doubt. We also can doubt the truth of God's word. And if I'm honest um, with you, which I'm going to be, um, this is where I would struggle. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. I've read the Bible cover to cover many, many, many times. It is 100% true. The gospel of Jesus is 100% true. Jesus really did come and live a life as a human. He really was arrested and beaten and tried and put on a cross and murdered. He really was put in the ground and three days later was resurrected. It's what we celebrated at Easter. He really did ascend to the Father. He really did send his spirit. And if you've put your faith, hope, trust in Jesus, in the person of Jesus and what he's done for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are forgiven 
You are free. You are clean. You are God's child. It's 100% true. But what I doubt sometimes is that that truth doesn't necessarily apply to me. I've struggled with you before that um, I worry I'm dying from time to time, which sounds dumb. Uh, the last several months, I've had this like uh, pain, tightness in my chest. Um, I don't think I'm actually dying. I, I think it's anxiety. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow morning to just get checked out to make sure. Um, in the meantime, we have an AED and some medical professionals around. So if I go down, I love you. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget your compression to breath ratio. I know you're not going to want the face, but somebody's going to have to take it, so let's get it right. <laughs> but the truth is, is when I'm laying in bed at night and, and I'm, I'm feeling this tightness in my chest and it's dark and it's me and the Lord, and I think, God, if I die tonight, would you welcome me home? The lies that I hear that are whispered by the enemy say things like, would he really save you? I mean, sure he can, but would he? You? And that's where I can struggle. That's where I can doubt. Now, I know you're probably thinking, bro, I don't know if you got the like pastor handbook, but you're not supposed to get on stage and tell your church that you doubt. <laughs> I do. It's true. The question is, what do we do if we find our hearts doubting? And James tells us what the answer is. He says, and you go to God who gives generously to all without finding fault. You confess God. God, I'm struggling here. I'm doubting the, the goodness of this. I'm doubting your word. I'm doubting. I just don't know, Lord. And God gives generously to all without finding fault. You ask him for wisdom to help give you a perspective that understands life the way that he says that it is, not the way that you think it is. So we confess where we are at and he, he meets us there. We receive help from his spirit. We receive help from his word. Memorizing scripture is a really good thing to do. It's not just for little kids because it's in those times that the spirit of God will bring those passages of scripture back to ourselves, back to our hearts. The spirit sometimes preaches to us and over us and for us. We also can find it in the community of God. I've shared this struggle with some trusted brothers and sisters. They pray for me. They pray with me. They pray over me. They preach the gospel to me. They remind me of the truths in God's word. And I can tell you today, at this moment right now, I have zero doubt about the gospel in my life. Thank God. But I might doubt again, and you might as well. The question is, what will you do with it, and what will I do with it? I hope that we will go to God with, with those doubts, because God gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, James at this point begins to shift. It's like he just turns on a dime and starts talking about something else. It seems like it doesn't fit or relates at all. Wisdom literature is like that. You'll notice as we study through the book that sometimes that happens. But look what he says in verse 9. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. He starts talking about this idea of poverty and wealth. And we're like, dude, we were talking about trials. What are you talking about? And I think here James is not talking only about financial poverty and financial wealth, although he is. He is also talking about relational and social poverty and wealth. Social poverty and wealth, um, well, social poverty um, really is, is that like you have no power in the world. Nobody knows who you are. They don't care who you are. You've, you've got no voice. You've got no power. It might also come along with financial poverty, but you just don't have any influence in the world. And social wealth is just the opposite. These are people that have influence, that have uh, have 
you know, it, what the world would say is, is meaning or clout or whatever. So James here, I really think is talking about both. And perhaps it's easy to see how poverty can be a trial to us. And indeed, sometimes it is. But what about wealth? The truth is that both of them can carry the temptation to rely on money and the world rather than on God and his provision. One commentator says this, he says, both poverty and wealth might be the greatest challenge to Christians' faith in Christ. And the reason why is because in poverty, the temptation can be just to think, if I just had more dollars, then everything would be fine. Or if I just had uh, maybe a little bit of influence, if people would respect me a little bit, then, then, then everything would be okay. And so what can happen is you can become so hyper-focused on the dollars or the influence or whatever it is that, that, that you forget that if you are in Christ, even if you lack funds in your lowly position, as the world would say here on earth, that means nothing in the kingdom of God. Because even if you are in poverty in the kingdom of God, you have everything. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that makes you a prince or a princess. Jesus is our big brother. You have an inheritance coming that can never perish or spoil or fade. So your poverty here, while it might be a trial, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything other than God might be using that struggle for something in your life. But what about wealth? Well, in wealth, the temptation can be to, to be so hyper-focused on those dollars and think how great you are because you earned them all. Look at how good I am. Look at how much money I've amassed. Look at how much wealth I have. Look at how much influence I have. And what James is telling us here is that your wealth means absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God, nothing. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into heaven. It means nothing in the kingdom of God. And so what he's saying to the rich here is that you should take uh, pride in your lowly position in Christ because that lowly position in Christ is everything because your money doesn't mean anything. And so neither wealth nor poverty can carry us through these trials and problems and pains. So what does? The answer is what we celebrated last week at Easter. It's a blood-splattered cross, an empty tomb, a risen Lord, and an indwelling spirit of God. It's having the wisdom of God to know that whatever's going on in your life, there's a purpose to it. Your pain's not pointless. God's doing something in your life. He's taking you and wanting to make you into a mature, complete believer, follower of his. That's what, what Jesus is trying to do through all of this. That's what we can, can remember if we keep the proper perspective as we can experience this kind of joy in our lives. God has a purpose for it. Look what he says in this last verse in this section. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, life with Jesus. It's amazing. Worship team, come on up here this morning. I just wanna ask you um, a couple of questions. Um, the first one is, what trials are you facing right now? Some of you, for some of you, your marriage is on life support and it might actually even feel already dead because it has been so long since you felt like you could get along with your spouse. Maybe it's been so long since you felt like you, could even, you even wanted to get along with your spouse and you don't see a way forward and you don't see a way through. Some of you are grieving the death of a loved one or like brother Jay and Jamie and their family, they're grieving the, the, somebody that's dying right now. And for some of you, you're grieving the death of a loved one that maybe happened a long time ago. 
But some days the sorrow is overwhelming. The pain is overwhelming. The trial is overwhelming. And you're just not sure how you're gonna move through it. Some of you are struggling financially. You're not sure how rent's gonna get paid this month. Some of you or someone close to you is struggling with mental illness or depression. You just don't know how you're gonna move on one more day. Whatever's going on, whatever the trial is big or small this morning, will you believe the word of God? This morning, will you believe that whatever you're experiencing, that you can find joy in the midst of that pain? Not that the pain's gonna go away, but that you're gonna find joy in the midst of that pain. This morning, my hope is is for all of us that we have been and we will continue to lift our eyes and our hearts and our spirits, again, above what's going on. Because what's going on really does suck. It really is bad. But God has a purpose and a plan for your life and he loves you and he sees you and he hears you and he's doing something in that pain. We're gonna sing a song, one of my favorite songs right now. Uh, It's called God Turn It Around. This song, as I was prepping for my sermon, it just kept playing in my head over and over and over again because God is doing something. He's moving, he's making a way, he's healing, he's bringing encouragement. But even if he doesn't bring healing, even if he doesn't change your circumstances, he's still doing something. He's making your faith complete and mature. So let's worship him right now. Let's let's worship him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.